ideas, inspiration, innovation. This is The Game Changer. And now here's your host, Chickie Fitzgerald. Good afternoon, this is Chickie Fitzgerald, and we have a special segment today that is for those of you who are either wanting to be on a board and having a better understanding of what happens in the boardroom, for those of you who are trying to build a robust board. And our guest today is Martin Rowinski, and he is the founder and CEO of a company called Board's Eye. And we're going to talk a lot about that because I actually just joined uh, their ranks this week. And so I'm, I'm really, really excited about having this interview. Martin, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I am very, very excited to be here. Well, this is a new book for you. We had actually talked uh, uh, some time ago when you had yep. uh, written a a chapter of a book, uh, what I call a compilation book. But I was so excited when I saw that you had actually taken what you know about boards and you had put this into print because you are so, so knowledgeable. Before we dive into the book, though, Martin, our listeners always love to hear your backstory. And you have a particularly (laughs) interesting one. And, uh, you know, you're... You're uh, someone who is, has come to the States from abroad, and, and that is a, a hot topic right now. So why don't we start with that? And, and what actually formed your drive to build this company? Absolutely, yeah. So that's, uh, that's actually in the chapter, chapter one of the book. But uh, it definitely formed my drive. Um, it was, uh, you know, growing up in a communist country, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not the only one. Obviously, lots of people come from there. And we definitely share something in common. We see things differently than most people that, especially if they've been in uh, U.S. for generations, many generations. Obviously, that, that experience gets diluted over time. I know my kids have heard my stories many times. And I still see it, you know, even though they're first generation Americans, I already see it being diluted. Uh, both of my kids are slightly different. Um, my son, I think definitely, he's the older one. He understands my experience a little bit more and appreciates things more. My daughter, on the other hand, she's a free soul. But, you know, but that's, that's people's characters and we're all going to be slightly different as we grow up. But right. And did you grow up in Poland? Is that- I did. I okay. was. Uh, I grew up all the way up to being ten years old. Um, I left when I was ten, and um, and in my journey to U.S., I was actually I lived in Italy for uh, approximately eight months. Um, so by the time I got to the states, I was uh, about to turn eleven, or just about just turned eleven. Um, but yeah, growing up in a communist country definitely was a tough one, you know, and even then I remember a lot of my friends who, as you may call, you know, being submissive, you know, their parents were kind of submissive to the system and just accepting it. But there was a a large group of people, obviously, uh, Solidarność, that uh, that group definitely was not submissive and they fought back. And my mom saw it in my young little personality 
and she knew that I was not going to be submissive. Um, <laughs> I, I always try to find try to find ways to not to break the system, but as a kid, just had I questioned so many things and just didn't understand why I didn't have a choice. I didn't have a freedom. Why did I have to do this and that? And even from you know forcing us to learn Russian and I already struggled with you know my own language Polish. Uh, and now I had to learn Russian. And so I, you know, told the teacher, I don't want to be in this class. And of course, they sent me to a principal's office. And my mom's like, you have to take the class. I'm like, I really don't want to. And that really motivated her, you know, to look for ways to get me to the states where there is freedom and there is choice. Right. And there's lots and lots and lots of opportunities. And uh, so, yeah, so that was our journey out of Poland. Uh, it was a very very quiet journey. Uh, we, you know, we couldn't really talk about what we're doing or that right. we're leaving. We left on quote unquote a vacation um, and uh, went to visit my sister in Italy and and um, applied to come to the U.S. and uh, we we got the permission, so we made it to U.S. Um, oh, that's so amazing! And I think you'll remember, you know, our stories crisscross a little bit here. Yeah. Uh, my daughter has been in Poland for the last five years. And yeah. of course, after, you know, <laughs> the country had been released from its, its, uh, previous, uh, uh, what is the communism? Yeah. yeah. The communism yeah. And, and the oppression from that. Yeah. Uh, but the cultural, uh, fingers of that, right. That still, still reach out to the character and the nature of the people there who are, are very, very, uh, dedicated to freedom right and, and it's, yep. it's a really really interesting country and and my son was born in russia so we had to learn a little bit of russian and my i tried <laughs> to learn polish when i went to poland uh several times and boy what a rough language to learn so you know bravo for learning <laughs> a little bit of of uh Russian, and I'm sure you had to learn a little bit of Italian to to uh, survive while you were there. And then, uh, of course, coming to our country and making English your your language. So, talk to me a little bit about what it was like then to go into high school, uh, you know, and and becoming an American. Uh, what what actually went into transforming you at that that tender age? So I had a, a, before even high school, when I was in middle school, I tell you, um, you know, the, the quote unquote bullying these days on social media and, you know, parents freaking out about it. And um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see it for me, because obviously back in those days, we definitely did not have any social media bullying, but bullying was I mean, just as vicious, if not more vicious than it is now in, in real life. So um, I, I got bullied. I got picked on. I got made fun of, you know, that I didn't speak the language. Uh, people took advantage of me, said things, you know, to be funny. Um, it, it wasn't uh, wasn't nice. But in, in all effect, here I am, obviously, many, many years later. And I appreciate it. You know, that that's. I look at it as part of growth and part of building character and a foundation. So for me, even the, the only thing that it really did was really put up walls and it made me really shy. I wasn't a shy kid, but I think after the middle school, I became really shy. So 
all through high school, I was pretty quiet. I played some sports, uh, but for the most part, I had a small group of friends and that's who I confided with, which uh, one of them was from South Africa. So he was also, you know, he spoke English at least, uh, but he, um, but I had a, just a niche friends and it wasn't until college. Um, but I actually, while I was still in high school, I did start doing some, uh, entrepreneur work, which was kind of cool. I did some graphic design for companies, mm-hmm. but, uh, going off to college was really my, like you would say, you know, where I just really opened up and shined. I went into a school where I didn't really know anyone. I it was a travel school. But most kids from my high school went off to Ivy Leagues and, you know, big schools and they traveled out. Um, I didn't know anybody at the college that I went to that came from my high school. So it was really time for me to re-explore myself and rediscover myself. And I did. I, uh, I really opened up and became outgoing and joined a fraternity and um, still friends to this day with uh, or brothers with many of my fraternity brothers. And um, yeah, that, that was really college was my, my really rediscovery of myself. That was, that was my finding point. So where did the board's eye mission come from? Where did, where did that idea uh, emanate from? So me personally, I, throughout my years, I've done, I've been an entrepreneur, I've sold a company um, I've had success. I've had my share of failures when I had my mortgage company and then 2008 hit. You know, I know a lot of people suffered, whether you were in mortgage or not, you suffered. But I really, you know, my business really took a dive at that point. Um, and, you know, again, rediscovery time, reinventing myself. And then uh, I did, but even prior to all those, I did a lot of consulting for a lot of different companies and I always enjoyed it and watched. Uh, you know, one company that I worked with and I built out an entire department for them and then watched them sell to uh, to a publicly traded company. And if it wasn't for the marketing department leg that I built, they would not have been worth buying at all. Um, so seeing that kind of change really motivated me to uh, start helping and seeing things in a different perspective. So as I got older um, and finished another consulting gig, this is after the sale of my other company, I started exploring and looking for board roles and board positions and helping out startup companies. And uh, I, I couldn't really find and I had a really hard time networking and finding on my own. So of course, they didn't really find any third party companies. So I went back to my uh, old business partners and um, we basically, uh, came up with Boardsai at that point and thought, it, you know, instead of me even just helping a handful of companies, this is a, an opportunity for me to actually be involved in something where, you know, I might not personally be helping these companies, but I am able to place uh, board members uh, onto these companies that are going to make a huge difference in, in, that, uh, in that company. So uh, it's a great feeling. It's a win-win all around. Well, I love it. And obviously, personally, I love it or I wouldn't have gotten involved. But uh, let's, let's back up a little bit and let's talk about the term mastermind board. Mastermind is a relatively new term, but it's not a new concept. And, you know, any, any CEO worth their salt has ensured that their board is a mastermind, but that yep. hasn't always been 
the case. So why did you come up with that term and why do organizations need that versus just needing the governance that a board provides to them? Yeah, no, and Mastermind, you know, the, where I learned about it was uh, also quite a few years ago. And it was, uh, I read about it, the Mastermind group and uh, Napoleon Hill's books. Uh, mm-hmm. He talks about Mastermind time and time again. And I really see building a, a diverse board with many different types of members uh, from different, uh, different upbringing, just diversity overall i think putting a board like that you're not just creating like you said a board that just watches for governance but you're really creating a mastermind which is a powerful board that's there to really guide the ship along you know to make the right choices help the company grow growth strategies um if you know you can bring on specialists in just finance or just marketing and just really create this uh, robust board, aka mastermind, that's really there to be for the business. Right. Well, you know, I, I have done ten different startups, and the last two I have been the founder and uh, at least for a good deal of time the primary shareholder. And in my in my first startup that I did with uh, a local investor. He was an angel uh, investor technically, but he worked for a private equity company. He had only, he had been on a lot of boards, but it was only corporate boards. And so the whole experience of doing an early stage tech company was totally foreign to him. And I pushed and pushed and pushed to get him to add uh, outside board members. Number one, because it just wasn't a healthy structure to have only he and myself on the board yeah. uh, when when we were the two uh, primary shareholders of the company. And then, you know, of course, having the participation of the executive team. I want to talk a little bit about that. But what does a CEO say is the ideal board member? Because for me, I wanted somebody who didn't have a financial stake in the company. That was important to me. At that time, I wasn't really thinking about diversity so much. Uh, although I want to talk about that uh, in a bit as well. But but what is an ideal board member from a CEO's perspective? Yeah, so obviously every CEO will have a slightly different perspective. I think there should be always a foundation, though. And the three key elements that any CEO should really look at is obviously evaluate you always need to evaluate, but know what your company's mission, vision, and values are. Mm-hmm. And obviously stand behind those. And if you're looking at any board member uh, for any, at, at any level, whether it's, you know, you're recruiting for marketing or whether you're recruiting for strategic growth or networking reasons, whatever the reasons may be, one key thing to a success is ensuring that that new member has similar, if not the same, mission, vision, and values. And that new board member believes in those values because if those are not a match, then any board member, if if they don't have the same values deep down inside, even though they might be super excited about joining XYZ company, at some point, they might either, you know, 
not agree with the choices being made, provide choices that don't fall in line with the company and create conflict. Now, there's no problems with conflict. Actually, out of conflict, sometimes you can come up with some great solutions. Right. But when it's a deep down in, you know, internal conflict of values, it, it can become a problem. And sometimes it can create a where the you know, board member might not want to be associated anymore. Got it. Well, as I mentioned, I, my current company, I have uh, a, a board which when they started with me, they were not investors. They happen to now also be investors. And this is my, my current tech company uh, that where I am still the CEO. Uh, but I had a unique experience. And I know I shared this with you last time we talked. I decided I did want to have some diversity on the board. I, first of all, I wanted at least one, if not two more women on the board because companies that have more women on their boards are more profitable overall. And that is borne out in quite a number of studies. Uh, but the other thing I wanted out of diversity was actually age diversity because all three of us, the two men and myself, were all over 60. And while that brings lots of value to a company yes. because of the depth of experience, it's really missing some of the perspectives that you can get. So let's talk a little bit about diversity because I know it's a huge buzzword right now and, and almost to the detriment of, of what companies are trying to accomplish because they're trying so hard for certain types of diversity that they're missing the boat on what really is going to move their company ahead. Absolutely no, and and you you really hit it on the nail the head the nail on the head. <laughs> you really hit it on uh, because <laughs> diversity is at all levels, and you're right. You know you can you, you're you're a perfect example. You have a board. You're all sixty and above, and that really as much experience and expertise as you guys bring to a table, which is amazing. You are missing certain things, and sometimes. Um, we get stuck in a certain way and can't think outside the box, or you might think outside the box, but you're always going to question, is it the right decision? You know, I've never really gone down that direction. So you're going to question that. So age, for example, is a great diversity factor. And looking at the different um, age groups right now and the ones that are uh, taking over as far as being on the job market, which if the age group is becoming bigger on the job market, it also means it's becoming bigger as far as going out there and shopping. So making sure that you have that age group within your board and within your company as an employee in general is very important because you need to know how to, how to present products, how to present a service to those types of people. What are they, what are they motivated by to purchase your product? What are they motivated by in a work environment? I mean, that, that's another one. Most people, when it comes to being an employee, most people think that, oh, let's just give you know, John Doe a raise and he'll be happy. That's not always the answer to happiness in employees. You know, a lot of people think it's just a higher salary, but we all know many people that make a lot of money and are super unhappy. You know, they wake up dreading going to work. Um, so you know, knowing what those things are that motivate people to be the best performers is, is a key and it's different at every age group. Right, right. So as, as you take a look at, well, first of all, I want to back up and talk about just the whole uh, 
philosophy about this particular book. And you've used a metaphor uh, of maps making, right? And today happens to be my 31st wedding anniversary. Oh. And the, the thing <laughs> you may 31st. not... Yeah, thank you so much. But what you may not know is my husband and I met because he worked for a singles dating service. And I was single and looking for, you know, lifelong love, right? And and so this whole metaphor of dating, which you actually, you know, allude to Uh in the book, uh, you know, I participated in this singles dating company before the internet. This was 1990, right? If you count back to <laughs> the 31 years. And, and so it was truly computer dating, which was, you know, the, the woman would say what she was looking for. The man would say what he was looking for. And, you know, if, if enough of those things coalesced, then they would make the introduction very similar to what you do within board's eye only obviously with a lot more experience and a lot more utilization of technology now now obviously i ended up you know in a very good match but he and i actually weren't matched through the company we found each other because i had a problem with the company right (laughs) so so you talk about the ultimate date right being the match of, of the ceo and the board member and, you know, clearly the investors, uh, well, I say clearly, a lot of times the investors want to have someone on the board. And, and so when you ask them to add other board members, and, and maybe this was the rub with my original investor, is he didn't want to have to pay board members. And, you know, if you have free board members, you kind of get what you pay for, right? Um, And and the same thing with an advisory board. Um, So how do you get the investor to part with their money so that you actually can recruit a board that's going to make a difference for you? No, absolutely. You know, um, that's funny about VCs and investors. And a lot of times VCs will invest in a company and they'll put on, you know, ABC board members on there because they get to do so because they're investing money. Right. A lot of times what we're finding or what a lot of companies find obviously is that doesn't mean that those board members are actually a perfect match. They're not the perfect date. They might have great experience. And most of the time a VC won't invest in a company unless they've done those types of companies before they stay stick within certain uh, industries. So they usually do have those board members. But we've been talking to VCs quite a bit, and a lot of them are reaching out to us and actually asking us for specific uh, type of advisors. Now, how do you explain that to an investor? It's actually pretty easy. They're investing money in you, so they already see the potential that there's going to be success or else they wouldn't be investing money. So... What you can do as far as bringing on advisors, whether it's starting with board of advisors or board of directors, is you bring these board members on with the benefit that they are going to make a positive difference, whether it's their growth, their network, uh, their marketing. Uh, I mean, it could be a thousand different reasons why this board member is needed. But an investor basically needs to look at it as, okay, we're bringing this person on and we're going to pay them X, Y, Z. And that's much better than bringing on a full-time CMO that's probably not going to do as good because, right. and we're going to pay them more money. 
So, and also there's options when you bring on advisors or directors, you can also give away um, equity and I don't mean give away the farm, but right. small, small pieces of equity that are vested over time are a, are a great way to grow your board of advisors. And what I also tell people is when you build your board of advisors, think of, think of it as a fishing pond for your board of directors. After you've been working with these advisors for quite a few years, you know which ones are going to be sticking the long term and which ones you can quite, you know, if you have a really good working relationship with one or two of them and you're ready to build out your board of directors, maybe you're, you know, getting ready to go public or do a round of funding and you want to just move them into an actual position as board of directors, instead of looking for new members, you've already been working with people that you already know exactly what their mission, vision, and values are and what their attitude's like. Right. Just makes it easy. Right. Absolutely. And again, I love the analogy. Uh, you, you talk about a, book, a board to grow serious with. And again, I think back to the dating service. And I wanted to make sure I was meeting someone who actually wanted to be serious. Now, back in those days, you actually, and, and you'll get a kick out of this, it actually cost $2,000 to join wow. the singles dating service because it really was more of a matchmaker service, yeah. right? And so I figured, you know, if a guy really wasn't serious, would he even pay $2,000, right, for, for a service? Oh, true. Not, right? So the whole model of that, that service that I went with was because of that. So, so talk to me about the value of actually using a matchmaker like Boardside versus thinking that you can just look through your, your Rolodex or your LinkedIn and find board members because not everyone makes a good board member. Not everyone makes a good board member and not everyone's ready to be a board member. So, for example, uh, a, a good CEO whether you want to call them busy or productive, you know, if they're good, well-rounded, and they have their whole life together, then they also have their personal life together. They have the work life figured out. Mm -hmm. uh, they may have kids. It all consumes time. Right. So doesn't mean that every CEO can be on a board. So if you're looking within your network and you see people, and I get hit up all the time, and asked to be on boards, and I'm already on a couple boards. They don't require a lot of my time, which is good. Um, but last few times I've been asked, I had to say no. And not that I don't want to, I, I would love to be able to help every company, but being a board member and being an effective board member are two different things. So the people that come and join our network have expressed that they do have the time they do have the capacity and they're ready to take on a position. So that right there simplifies the process. That's number one. Number right. two, if we go back to just working within our network, then we're falling back into you know what they used to do in the 1960s, and that is recruit your friends and buddies on the golf course. Right. Not, not as effective. So I think looking outside of that scope is definitely a plus. Right. One of the things I love about your book, Martin, is that you you really give the step-by-step -step guide to 
the company about how they should uh, not only recruit and what is important, but you also help them in when you're ready to make it official, right? How do you document it? What are the terms of service? How do you uh, protect your intellectual property? I mean, there's so many things to think about. So uh, for those of you who are considering building a board, this is really a, a must have guide. So let's talk about once you do have the board member on on board, <laughs> pardon the pun, right? <laughs> talk to me about communication. So what happens if the board member who you have assisted in, in getting matched with the perfect CEO, right? The perfect company, the perfect board member, and now there's some, uh, some rub, some conflict, how do you address those things and how do you tell uh, the company to address it when they've got a board member that isn't uh, doing what they're supposed to? Yeah, so obviously board meetings are great. Uh, simple communication. Um, the key, I think, to communication, and in my mind, you can never have too much of it. And, you know, a lot of people like to say, keep business, business, and personal, personal. But at some point in a good business relationship, it always overflows into personal, whether it's, you know, being invited to a wedding or being invited to go golfing, you're going to do something at a personal level. Um, and I think, it, I think it is necessary because people do put down some walls when you're golfing or whatever it may be that you're doing for, you know, a, a dinner outing. Um, so those, all those little tools and ways to get to know your board members, I think are very necessary. I think when it comes to a board meeting, whether it's negative, like you said, there's a problem with a board member or whether it's a positive thing, but especially when it's a negative thing, I think letting everybody know, all the board members know prior to the meeting is definitely necessary for two reasons. Number one, dropping a bomb in the meeting is never a good thing. I mean, that right. can have a nuclear effect and it, it can go sideways. Giving everybody a heads up gives you the opportunity to soften the blow, but at the same time gives them opportunity to reach back out to you. Mm -hmm. You might even ask as a CEO a question like, hey, how should I handle this? How do you think we should do this? And now you've got every other board member replying with some ideas, some ways to handle it, and the best way to bring it up in the meeting. And right. Yeah, I mean, I call that having the meeting before you have the meeting because you have uh, to. <laughs> we had a we had a situation with, uh, and it, we've got a group that we call our sounding board, and it's more than an advisory board, and it's less than a board. Uh, but as a group, they all have one vote on the board, so they're they're uh, kind of a hybrid, right? Well, we spent an enormous amount of time preparing for our board meeting, and it was just before the pandemic. So uh, it would have been December of, of 2019. And uh, you know how much time and energy goes in from the CEO and the executive team side to prepare the board materials. Yep. And I spent the time with most of them, you know, actually ahead of time going through that material. But it was so clear which board members had not even opened the email 
And, and so this whole responsibility of, of being a board member and, and what your responsibilities are and board prep is, you know, board meeting prep or board call prep yeah. uh, is really important. And so I can say from the CEO's perspective, every minute that I would invest in that board prep of actually sharing the materials ahead of time, not just, you know, in an email, but literally going through it with uh, the board members to see if they had any questions to actually ask them, hey, would you uh, be the one to guide this particular discussion so that the CEO isn't the only one speaking uh, yeah. at a board meeting? So I, I think the art of communication is, is so, so important. So Martin, I know that you have the perspective that actually to build a better future for your company, that putting together the right board is an absolutely an essential ingredient in that. You also talk about, you know, some things like community involvement and, and again, circling right back around to talk about value, vision, value, vision, and mission. Um, so, so talk to me about just how, how do you tie a bow on this, right? This whole matchmaker thing, finding <laughs> the right people, you know, making sure that once the qualified candidates are, are identified, how do you get them on board and, and uh, you know, uh, communicating with them along the way? And then how do you take that and actually have that as a launch pad to a better future? Yeah, so we, uh, as far as a launch pad, we, uh, we've partnered with a uh, company to help as far as communication, board documents, uh, contracts. We've actually partnered with a company. Uh, they're mentioned in the book, so um, no need to mention them here. But they're also there's going to be a partners page on our website, so they'll be put up on there. But um, they really simplify uh, all of the all of that happens after the board member is recruited. So after they leave our network, they're on the board. The company is done recruiting whatever five board members, and we're done with them as well. And by the way, the contracts that are mentioned in the book all came from the fact that a lot of these companies that we were working with, it was their first time building board of advisors to add it as a sideboard or like a sounding board, like you're explaining uh, on the side of their board of directors. Um, and they just never done it. So they always would ask us questions like, well, how do I do it? Is there a contract? So we, you know, we've been assisting uh with that so i figured you know why not just put it in a book uh simplify the whole process but um but yeah once i i think communication is is an ongoing communication having a tool um like the one we partner with the company is called shape parency um is is very very important uh to keeping your obviously minutes uh keeping uh you can schedule your appointments on there have all the documents right. on there it just centralizes everything and i know there's so many tools out there uh we really found love with shape parency because it was created from ground up uh last year so it's not old technology they really simplified it they made the process uh very simple so um that i, I think utilizing tools like that is very important well, I love it. I love it. Well, Martin, I am so excited about my own journey and uh, it will be really a lot of fun just just now having talked to you about all of this now <laughs> on 
on the receiving end of the process and being, uh, you know, the one who is is getting maps made. Right. <laughs> so uh, I am excited because, as I mentioned, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for gosh, twenty six years. And I've been the CEO of my own company for the last little bit more than the last 10 years. Um, I don't count the time when I was, a, uh, you know, just a consultant, because even though I ran a very successful consulting firm, that was very different from the experience that you get building a company from scratch. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, I am personally very ready to do this. And again, you know, devoting the time and the energy and excited to be a part of the growth of another firm, uh, in addition to continuing to grow in my own firm. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that we could get together. When is the book actually going to be out, Martin? So it's supposed to be out uh, sometime in August. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be towards the end of August. It literally is going through the last, uh, last editing. It's going through its final editing preparation for print. So it should be out end of August. Um, it will be available on Amazon. Obviously, it's available on the website. Uh, right. It is available yeah. for pre-sale right now. Yeah. So, Martin, where should they go if they would like to connect with you and if they would like to pre-order the book? Uh, to connect with me, I am easy to find just like you found me on LinkedIn. So uh, that is probably the best way to communicate with me. Uh, to read more about Boardsi, obviously b o a r d s i dot com, um, and then the website is, uh, I believe it's the corporate matchmaker book dot com. Yes, am I right? I believe so. <laughs> All right. Well, perfect. Well, Martin, thank you so much uh, again. We have been talking to Martin Rowinski. And he is the CEO of Boardseye. And uh, we have been talking about his book, The Corporate Mathmaker. And Martin, I, I can't wait to hear uh, how the book is received. And, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to circle back and talk again after I had my experience, because it would be really, really interesting. Uh, you know, again, I think I'm going to be even better prepared right? Having, having read your book and understand what, how you're preparing the, the boards and the yeah. CEOs to actually receive someone's help. Awesome. Uh, and, and again, I think that the more preparation you can make as someone who wants to be on boards, uh, you know, that, that yeah. would, would be great. So Martin, thank you so much. Good luck with the book and we will talk soon. Thank you. Talk soon. Take care. Perfect. You've been listening to The Game Changer. Ideas. Inspiration. Innovation. With Chickie Fitzgerald. <laughs>